might your prayer life be shaped and changed if you believe that God cannot fail? What would you be willing to bring to God if you trusted that God cannot fail? What might you whisper to God if you sense that God cannot fail? What would your hope look like in desperate days if we could lean in together that God does not fail? We know that in this lifetime there will be struggles. We know that in this lifetime there will be chaos. We know that in this lifetime there will be pain. We know that in this lifetime there will be violence. We know that in this lifetime there will be destruction. We know that in this lifetime there will be illness. But God, we also know that in this lifetime, you who operate in time and outside of time are a God who will not fail us. You are a God who will not leave us. You are a God who will not forsake us. You are not a God who has power that is limited, but that you are a God that is limitless in all that you do. So today, some of us are going to come to you with the little things in our lives, oh God, because we're going to trust with our little faith that you are a God who cares about us. You've made us a little lower than the angels because you see something in us. And there's some of us this morning who might be bold enough because of how we're showing up with one another to leverage each other's faith, that we might bring to you that big thing, oh God, that we are even sometimes too timid to say with our lips, but we are going to echo from the mouths of our hearts because we are trusting today that you are a God who will not fail. God, I have said over the course of the last three weeks, oh Lord, how long? And you have reminded me that you are a God who will not fail. God, when I've come to you, saying that weeping hasn't just lasted for a night, it's lasted for many nights and weeks and months and for some people for years. And you say back to us, but I'm a God who will not fail. That when they scream, peace, peace, but there is no peace. And I question the intentions of this world. You who are shalom, you say, I am a God who will not fail, that my peace is beyond even your human comprehension. So God, if you have to start someplace with us this morning, would it be in our imagination about what you are able and capable of doing that if we can whisper that nothing is impossible with you, that if we can sing that you are Alpha and Omega, if we can trust that you are mighty, And today, oh God, might you help us to have the kind of imagination that we might believe, trust, and lean in to your unfailing presence in our lives. God, help our unbelief. God, carry us in our unbelief. 
God, shift our unbelief. May it be so, O oh God, that as we hear your word read and also proclaimed, that you might do that stretching work of expanding our imaginations to become holy imaginations that we might believe in your unending, unfailing power in our lives, in this moment and beyond this moment. So God, would you speak to us a word that we might live and might be a template for your glory beyond these four walls that others might believe that you are also an unfailing God. We pray all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. I feel like over the course of the last couple of weeks, I'm forever saying what a great gift it is to have um, Crystal as our director of music and this beautiful worship team. Um, and I want to just do it again because you know what? Um, Aaron reminded us that we get more of what we celebrate. So we want to celebrate this morning um, our worship team and the ways that they, um, that they lead us. Someone said yesterday that um, the way in which Crystal takes up presence as the director of music is that she actually expands and leverages not only our gifts, but the gifts of all the other musicians who are with her, which means that she's not hoarding her gifts. She's unleashing her gifts. May it be so for each and every one of us as well that we would live the kind of lives that the gifts that God places within us, we don't hold on to them too tightly. Uh, but that we actually uh, let God steward them, that they might be a blessing in us and through us, but also be a blessing in and through and through others. So I just want to say thank you again to our worship team and to Crystal for the ways in which they lead us um, in the midst of worship. So, you know, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Holy Yes, where we are celebrating the 50 days of Easter where we are recognizing that on Easter Sunday back in April when we said Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, alleluia, when, when, when the world came with, with death as a no, that Christ's resurrection power came as the holy yes. But we don't just get one day of Easter, we get 49 more days beyond Easter Sunday to recognize the other places and ways in which resurrection power shows up in our everyday ordinary lives. When the world would tempt us into settling on a job or a vocation that sucks the life out of us, a holy yes comes with purpose, comes with power that we might do the thing that we know we are called to do, not just the thing that people want us to do. That when it might have been uh, our familiar place to, to be in relationships or among people that no longer serve us, we come with a holy yes to let go and to trust that God is a friend of ours and we are also a friend of God's. There are all these holy yeses that are happening in our lives that remind us that there is a trail of resurrection power that follows us in our everyday ordinary lives. That when we said Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed, alleluia, on Easter Sunday, it means something for us as well. And we have been naming these holy yeses, holy yes to purpose, holy yes to peace this morning, holy yes to healing. So that we don't ever underestimate what it looks like for resurrection power to work in us and also to work through us. So this morning as we prepare our hearts to hear from John chapter 5, 
verses one through nine. I want to tell you now that um, we're going to talk about what does it look like for, for God's healing power to show up in our lives personally, but also that it might have collective impact. Now, here's what I want to say about passages of scripture that allude to physical healing. Depending on what um, maybe church or faith spaces you have been in that may not have always been careful with these passages of scripture, there are those who bristle just a little bit when they hear about um, physical healings in scripture. And I want to take that very seriously because I'm not going to talk a whole lot about um, kind of the, the way in which even Jesus disrupts the way we think about bodies uh, in the biblical text. However, I do want you to hold on to this. In fact, if you don't write it down, write it down in the, on, the, on your heart, okay? Because um, I do want to take very seriously how passages of Scripture have been misused to harm and to hurt people. So here's what, what I want you to hold on to before I read this passage of Scripture. Always be curious and sometimes be furious. Okay, see, I'm trying to make it rhyme now. Always be curious and sometimes be furious about theologies. About theologies that are confined by systems that privilege some bodies because of an imbalance of power or denigrate certain bodies or that deem certain bodies are admissible victims. Hear me, friends. Always be curious and sometimes be furious about theologies that are confined to systems that privilege certain bodies because of an imbalance of power or denigrate certain bodies or consider certain bodies to be admissible victims, meaning that certain bodies deserve, because of who they are, to be harmed. I don't have a lot of time. So that's what I want you to hold on to in regards to how sometimes passages about physical healing are misused. All right, on another day, we'll get into it. <clears throat> because the way in which we're going to talk about healing today will be more in regard to mind, body, spirit, collective and cosmic. Hear now these words from John chapter 5, beginning with the first verse and ending with the ninth verse. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethzatha, or Bethsaida, which has four or five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once, the man was made well. And he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Buffalo. 
Dallas, Laguna Woods, Buffalo, Dallas, Laguna Woods. When I say Buffalo, I don't think about the football team anymore. When I say Dallas, I don't think about barbecue and I don't think about my favorite NFL team. When I say Laguna Woods, I don't ask myself, I wonder how far away Laguna Woods is from Laguna Beach. Instead, when I say these three places, my very words, the heaviness in my heart is marked by the brokenness that has happened in these places. No longer is there a neutrality to those three spaces and places where bodies inhabit. But instead, over the course of the last two weeks in particular, when we hear these places, I hope that we stay awake to the realities of the brokenness that has happened in, this pla in these places. Now, I could have, last month, offered up words of places that are no longer neutral because of brokenness. Three months ago, I could have offered up words about places that are no longer neutral because of brokenness. But every single time something happens in this world, there is a question that rises up for me out of my pastoral sensibilities as I think about my church, our church community. Buffalo, Dallas, Laguna Woods. It's this question. Do you accept the freedom and the power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? It is the question that my dear sister Rachel Stradley is going to um, answer when she is confirmed this morning. It is the question that Amy and Jessica offered up uh, a resounding correct answer when their daughter was baptized. It, it is the, the question that Carmia and Jonathan, uh, they, they spoke over their daughter when their daughter was baptized on Easter Sunday. It is the question that every single person who becomes a member of the Southeast Raleigh table has to answer. Do you accept the power and the freedom that God gives you to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Buffalo, Dallas, Laguna Woods. <laughs> We in this place live by such an ethic that we say a holy yes to resisting death-dealing tools. We say a holy yes to resisting uh, uh, constructs that oppress. We say a holy yes to resisting white supremacist delusion that would have us otherizing and literally obliterating one another. We say a holy yes to resisting the mindset of scarcity that makes people a threat instead of a friend. Even over babies, friends, who are baptized in this place, this question is asked. Will you as parents live like a template of God's glory that you are resisting evil and justice and oppression so that your child might say, I too, as I grow up, will never pick up death-dealing tools, but instead I serve a God who has come that I might have life and life more abundantly. I'm about that life and not death, and not death. And then we get another question. There's this thing called the lectionary, which basically um, 
it delineates the scriptures, like the Bible, over the course of all of the Sundays within a year. And you know the passage of scripture that we find ourselves located in this moment in history is one where Jesus asks us not only do you accept the power and freedom that God gives you, not to steal, kill, and destroy, but instead to have life and life more abundantly. Jesus then now in John chapter 5 asks this other question right here located in time. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Now, like, like I said, in this particular passage, in verse chapter 6, uh, when, when Jesus asks about this kind of healing moment, it's not healing that is only physical, because in Scripture, as I'm going to share in just a bit, healing sometimes uh, takes on a more magnanimous understanding, not just located in what it looks like for us to feel better. Sometimes healing is known as sozo, like to save or to rescue. And, and, and if our bodies can be healed and if our minds can be healed and if our souls can be healed, there's also this reality that in Christ Jesus, even all of creation, which sighs with groans, like with labor pains, can also know what it is to have a deep wellness. So when Jesus is asking this question in verse, in verse 6, it's beyond a moment with a man who is sitting at a portico at the pool at the sheep gate. It's a question that we have to get really honest with ourselves amidst the one-liner, this isn't us. Ooh, if I hear that one more time, this isn't us. Well, then why do we keep doing this? Then tell me who we are. Because self-deception is sometimes also an illness. Amidst black squares that might have done more performance than actually transformation, do you want to be made well? Amidst gaslighting, do you want to be made well? Jesus is not simply asking this question to this man at the sheep gate, sitting at a portico. But on the sixth week of Easter, do you want to be made well? Here are three things I want you to hold on to this particular passage of scripture. As we are a people who believe not only in a personal healing, like how we show up in the world as those who do not pick up the tools of death, but also how we collectively move in the world. Recognizing, though, that my personal healing, how I trust that God shows up for me, always has communal impact. So we have to be very serious about what is happening in us, whether Christ is asking us personally, do you want to be made well, or collectively, do you want to make, be made well, whatever it is, it's always going to have cosmic impact. So here are the three things that I want you to hold on to in this particular passage of Scripture as we think about healing and growth in our own lives and then also collectively, so that maybe we can say differently and show up differently 
and be something different. When we say this isn't us, because we're actually being different. There's a lot going on in this particular passage of scripture. In John's gospel, it is known as one of the messianic signs. There are like seven of them. And the messianic signs point to Jesus as God's presence in the world. There is typically some material matter that is a part of the messianic signs that have like some sacramental importance. Well, there's water uh, here at the sheep gate, at the, the pool of the sheep goat at this, at this portico. So that's the kind of the sacramental, the sacramental um, element that points to Jesus as more than just this really nice guy who says really nice things. The first thing that I want you to hold on to is the question, do you want to be made well? Now, one of the things about this particular question is that um, you would think that if Jesus is in a place where someone is waiting for wellness, like why, why, why would you ask this person? <laughs> like Jesus, let's not be a part of the redundancy committee. But it connotes that in asking the question, that the answer can also be no. Do you want to be made well? We can say yes. We can also say no. In, in the Greek, I want you to hear how the question is actually framed. Thelais, hagais, genesthe, or genesthe, which means desire you well to become. Jesus sounds like Yoda. Desire you well to become. Well actually has a couple of meanings. It could mean, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be free from? <laughs> the thing you need to hold on to is that well doesn't necessarily point to specificity, meaning that we need not assume what this man wants to be well of. Now, we might think, oh, it's because he's on the mat. Maybe he needs to be well from self-deception. Maybe he needs to be well from, like, his oppressive wit. We don't know what it is. All Jesus asks is, desire you well to become. And that lack of specificity allows us to also lean into this question that Jesus is asking to see how it might stir up something in us. Here's the other thing about the question, is that Jesus didn't ask the question because of the state that the man was in. Jesus asked the question because of how long the man had been there. When he saw how long he had been there, the time he had been there, getting familiar with a particular way of being, maybe thinking this is going to be his lot in life, Maybe hearing people around him say, some things never change, some things never should. This is how it's always been for you, and this is how it's always been for others. When Jesus notices how long, the time, the length of time, not necessarily the condition, that's when Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? Desire you well to become? Second thing I want you to hold on to. 
The man does not answer yes or no. He comes with some excuses. <laughs> what had happened, Jesus? Come to find out, Jesus. Blah, 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 Jesus. Now, he gives an excuse about the barriers. The belief is that an angel of the Lord would stir up the water, and when the water was stirred up, if you could find yourself in the pool, that's how you could claim your healing. So he wasn't there for nothing. But it's so interesting that maybe, because this man has been there for so long, whether there are conditions or systems that kept him from healing, or he himself kept himself from a move toward healing, his first thought when Jesus asks the question is to tell Jesus why it can't happen or hasn't happened. Ooh, 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 ooh. If we don't live in a world that sets us up to always be telling people why it hasn't happened, why it won't happen, where literally our imagination our imagination of the already but not yet is so limited that we will consider oppression light <laughs> a little bit better than to, than to be oppression heavy. I won't go down the long list of ways in which we have literally lived with such a limited imagination that we get kind of comfy with ways of being that keep us from stepping into healing. I wanna just use a little bit of pastoral um, poetic vision. And maybe to believe that it's not some particular barrier that was keeping this man from um, entering the pool, but that it was some, some limited mindset that kept him from the pool. You know, the friends, healing comes at a cost. If any of you have ever gone to therapy and you begin to heal, and yet you are among a family system of people who have not healed, you, you will sometimes wonder your place of belonging. Your healing will be a threat to community if everyone else in community doesn't want to heal. You know how I know this when some of you go home for Thanksgiving. I know I bring this up all the time, but it's true. When some of you go home for Thanksgiving, many of you who inhabit white bodies, you recognize that your healing comes at a cost if you actually want to divest from the construct of whiteness, but everyone else around you is sipping from the cup of white supremacy and enjoying it. And no one wants to not belong. We are meant for belonging. Healing comes at a cost. When I choose not to code switch and shape shift to make other people comfortable, I may not get to go to the same places or get access to the same things that I used to get as a black woman. But it's healing for me not to have to make myself into something else in order to convince other people of my humanity. When I live whole and healed, it's going to come at a cost. So sometimes, do you want to be made well? It's going to be uncomfortable. 
Do you want to be made well? I'm going to lose friends. Do you want to be made well? I'm not going to know my place in my family. Do you want to be made well? It's going to have to bring up some moments when I've been embarrassed. Do you want to be made well? Oh, gosh, it's going to stir up some shame. Do you want to be made well? I might have to hand over some power. Do you want to be made well? I might have to, like, take up less space. It's work to crawl or however to get to the place of healing. Healing comes at a cost. So I, I, I have grace for this man when he says, Jesus, let me tell you why. And though the man doesn't say yes or no, hey, <laughs> let me tell you what Jesus won't do is Jesus won't leave us janky. Remember in John chapter 10, verse 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Jesus doesn't know how to not offer life and life more abundantly, so Jesus still offers up a healing, even though the man didn't say, yes, Jesus, I want to be made well. Jesus cannot leave us the same. So he offers a word of healing over this man. But this is the part of this passage that is good news to each and every one of us. If there are places in our lives where we need growth and healing, especially as it relates to the ways in which we show up in this world so that this world might have another possibility of what it looks like so that we can actually say this isn't us. The good news is in verse 9, now that day was a Sabbath. Now that day was a Sabbath. Ooh, y'all, Jesus be up to stuff. <laughs> Guess what you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath? Guess what you're not supposed to carry on the Sabbath? Guess what power you're not supposed to evoke on the Sabbath? Don't need to be doing all this healing work, Jesus, on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be carrying your mat, the actual vision of your healing on the Sabbath. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus always disrupts patterns that keep us or hold us from our healing. Which means whether it is a Sabbath, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Jesus is going to do the work that Jesus is going to do. Which means that when we start to say, oh gosh, but there's certain patterns and systems and ways of being that this is why we do what we do. Let me tell you the good news is that Jesus can even offer healing in the places where we do not believe that healing is possible based off of the systems that say that healing is not possible because of the constructs that say that healing is not possible. Now that day that this thing happened, even with all the excuses that were given, Jesus healed the man. There is nothing that can stop Jesus from doing the wellness work. But do you believe that there is nothing that can stop Jesus from doing the wellness work? So I have one question for you, friends. There is no neat bow 
to this passage of scripture because I don't know what is stirred up when Jesus whispers in your ear, do you want to be made well? What are the things, the obstacles, the mindsets, the imagination that you might have that's keeping you from growth and healing? What is keeping you from healing? Because Jesus can do it amidst any system. Will we accept the healing amidst any system?